Um, but I am excited to be with you here today. You know, we had such an incredible year in missions this year, and I would be remiss to not say so. You know, every ministry here at Influence Church just did amazing things, but in, in the one that God has entrusted me to oversee, it was humbling to see everything that God did this year. And I was sitting down and I was just, I just wanted to write down what God did in this house this year. Because God has called us to defend the fatherless. He has called us to plead for the widows. He has called us to bring the name of Jesus Christ to everyone. He has called us to heal the sick and share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is our calling as Christ followers. And this year, our church responded to that call. And I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, I am humbled to be able to, to run this ministry. And I am humbled to have a church that will pray for us when we go out and, and serve people. I'm humbled to have a church that will go out and, and join us and serve the body. And I'm thankful and, and gracious and humbled for people that give us the money to be able to go out and do this. Because by our obedience, we saw hundreds come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this year. We brought worship into, to, with, to, into places where men and women were struggling with anxiety and depression and oppression. Women who had been trafficked, men and women who had been oppressed so long in their life and who were sexually abused. And we saw freedom break out in the place. We saw healing break out in the place. We saw hundreds come to four different parks in both July and November to serve your city. And maybe you were one of those. Maybe you handed out food. Maybe you, handed, maybe you mowed a lawn. Um, but we saw our city transformed just by us doing what we're supposed to do, being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We built a house in Mexico for a family that makes under $8,000 a year, and we provided food to 300 families. We took four trips to the Ukraine and brought food and battle equipment to the front lines of doctors and nurses in the middle of this war. We sent a shipping container to the Ukraine, and we are going back to the Ukraine in two weeks. If you are a male and you are interested, and yes, we are still only sending men because it's a battle zone, but if you are a man and you would like to join us, we are going in three weeks. We are not going to stop going because we are going bigger, y'all. We are going deeper. We're not just going to stop, and let me tell you something. God is like, I'm not even done yet. This year, we saw healings take place, and we saw a man at the Salvation Army in a wheelchair, and while we, we cried out to him and said, Jesus, heal this man, may he stand up, he stood up and he walked. We saw a woman so demon-possessed that she was foaming at the mouth and her eyes were rolling behind her head, and her bunkmates told me that it's, they're scared to go to bed at night because of her screams, and me and three other pastors at the Salvation Army laid hands on her and casted that demon out, and she fell on the floor, and she began to cry, and weep and, and she didn't even know the song that Pastor Drew was singing but she began to sing with him let me tell you the Holy Spirit is in this house the Holy Spirit is working in this house and if you're your first time you're like this church scares the crap out of me God is not done he is it is just the beginning buckle up buttercup we're going hard we are running this race and I want to ask you today are you going to be a part of it and it is my prayer, listen up, it is my prayer that we are more impactful this year than we were last year. Now listen up, I don't mean we're doing more. I don't mean we're doing more. We're not doing busy work. I mean, we are inviting the Holy Spirit hour by hour and minute by minute to come into our ministries and to guide us. Because the truth is, is if we trust our strategy more than the Spirit's will, everything will come up empty.
It doesn't matter how clever you are, how intellectual you are, if you do strategy for your job, it doesn't matter if God doesn't move, people won't respond. A good sermon is not a good sermon if the Holy Spirit doesn't move. Good worship is not good worship if the Holy Spirit doesn't move. Serving is just works if the Holy Spirit doesn't move. And so that is our call this year, to invite the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, how do we impact your kingdom? How can one person go to one person that then becomes a believer that goes to another person, all of a sudden 100 people are saved, and we didn't even have to do a serve your city. We're just being faithful in what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. Amen? Y'all, this isn't even my sermon. I just, had to, I just wanted to talk about that. <clears throat> Let's pray. For real, that was, had nothing to do with my sermon. God, you are good, and we are, we are stoked, man. We are stoked for a new year. We are excited in this fast, what you're going to do, Father God. And so we just pray right now. We pray because, Lord, you know I'm a hot mess, and so we know that I need you to come, and I need you to speak through me, Father God. I know you have a word for many people in this house right now. Father God, a lot of people showed up expecting to hear from you, and so, Father God, we ask your Holy Spirit to come down and fall upon us, and, Father God, may you speak May you speak in, in loud voices and in the still, quiet voice. Father God, that we know that you are there. And Father God, that you hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you guys have children in your life? Let's see a show of hands. May, they could be your children. They could be aunt, They could be your nieces, nephews, cousin. Maybe you have a dentist, the menace next door. It's super annoying. But I think it's safe to say all of us have had children at some time in our life, correct? Well, what I love, I love children. I have two babies, uh, well, four if you include my dogs, which I do. And, uh, but um, I have two babies, and my oldest, Gracie Bell, has the most inquisitive nature. And this is one of the things I love about children is their inquisitive nature. Gracie has this desire for knowledge. She will take a piece of bark and wire and Elmer's glue and somehow make a zip line for her Barbie. And, like, she legitimately will do it. And this is why I believe she's my father's favorite. Now, he won't admit this, but me and my brother have come together and we've agreed that Gracie Bell is his favorite. And so I think it's because they have this deep desire for knowledge. However, we're also in this growing season where Gracie Bell doesn't uh, believe me a lot. And so she'll ask me a question like, hey, mom, can I drive? And I'll say, well, no, baby, you can't. Is that really true? That's what she says. Is that really true? Well, yeah, honey, you have to be 16. Mm, I don't know about that. And so I was taking this to the Lord the other day. I'm like, all right, Lord, how do I get my daughter to believe me? Now, if you know me, you know I love to, I love to joke around. And if you're a new staff member, I'm definitely going to mess around with you because I just love to play jokes. So part of this is my fault. I, I'm taking acknowledgement of this. But I'm like, Lord, I need my daughter to believe me. And so I'm, I'm taking this to prayer. And he goes, Jing, you're no different. He said, you'll ask me something. And if I don't respond the way you want or if I simply just don't respond in that moment, you don't believe me. Or even worse, you try to do it yourself. And so today I want to talk to you about a woman in the Bible who, man, she trusted Jesus. She believed Jesus. She knew what it meant to sit at Jesus' feet and take in every single word and listen. She knew what it meant to be obedient. She knew what it meant to worship her Messiah. And, you know, it's really amazing because when you look at certain stories in the Bible, and maybe you just read one, you're like, oh, okay. 
but you don't fully grasp someone's life. Imagine if someone told your life story with one story, and you're like, don't, chip, don't pick that one. And so I want to look at two of her stories today where she was, she was seen, because if we just look at one, we don't fully grasp her life, just like we don't fully grasp our life with one story. And so we're going to look at John 11 today. If you want to open up your Bibles to John 11, many of us know the story of Mary and Martha. If you're a woman, someone has probably asked you, are you a Mary or a Martha? Don't do that. It's rude. We all know we need to be Mary. Some of us just like charcuterie boards, okay? And so um, don't ask that, men, okay? We know who we're supposed to be like. But this, that's the first story of Mary. Now we're going to introduce Mary again. And here in John 11, these sisters, they get word to Jesus. Jesus was about two hours away, and they get word to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, Lazarus, our brother, the one you love, is sick. And so Jesus gets this word. And he goes, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the God's glory so that the Son will be glorified through it. And so you read this, you're like, okay, cool, he's not going to die. And then you keep reading, and two days later, he dies. And you're like, wait, what? I literally just read, this sickness will not end in death. What's going on, Lord? You just said it. What, what's happening? What are you waiting for, Lord? You're two hours away. And we do this, don't we? We say, Lord, you say you love me. You say you're for me. You say you're my father. Well, what are you waiting on? Why haven't you healed me yet? Why haven't you restored me yet? Why haven't you repaired this yet? Why haven't I overcome this yet? And we're waiting and we're waiting and it's silent. Imagine Mary and Martha, they're sitting there and they're waiting and it, nothing, nothing. And for some of us, it's longer than two days that we're waiting and it's silent. And we're like, what's going on, Lord? Jesus' delay of two days emphasizes what he taught constantly in the word of God, that he gets his marching orders from God only. His marching orders come exclusively from the Father, and it didn't matter that people were begging him to come heal. He had to be obedient to the Lord's voice. And we have to remember that if we are called to be like Jesus, if we are called to live like Jesus, we have to follow his lead, even if that means we have to wait even if that means we are waiting on the Lord. And it's hard because our human response is rash, isn't it? If we don't get what we want when we want it, we're like, forget you, Lord. You, must, you don't even exist. You don't care. Forget you, man. Right? I mean, come on. We've all been there. Like, where are you? What the heck? Or what do we do? We take matters into our own hands. And when we do this, we miss the opportunity for the Father to be seen and to be glorified. You see, it wasn't God's will for Jesus to just heal Lazarus. It was for Jesus to do something bigger. And if we want breakthrough in our life, if we want healing in our life, if we want restoration in our life, if we want victory in our life, the first question I'm going to ask you three today, the first one I want you to ask yourself is, am I being obedient to the Lord's voice? Because being obedient to the Lord's will will always start with submission. Submitting and admitting that your desire might be different than his will. But it also is going to be bigger than you ever imagined.
You then go on to read. In 11, Jesus tells the disciples, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I can wake him up. And then the disciples say, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of death, and they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, the one we love, we all have a doubting Thomas. Some of them are you, by the way, who they call twin, said, let us go that we might all die with him. Don't you love people like that? Ah, we might. So what was happening was they, they told them, hey, if you come back, we're going to stone you. So now all the disciples are freaked out. They're like, no, we don't want to go back. Hey, if he's sleeping, he'll wake up. I don't want to go get stoned. Not that, not the, you know, that word. <laughs> Some of you born in the 60s are thinking about something else. I don't want to go. And then Thomas is like, woe is me, whatever. We might as well all go die. How many of us are like that in our situations? And Jesus goes, I am so glad that he died because have you not been with me long enough that you don't believe that I can get you there safely on your journey? So I'm glad he's dead because not only am I going to raise him from the dead, I'm going to prove that I will protect you on the journey. And there's a lot of you that need to hear today that God is protecting you on the journey. Even though you haven't gotten the answer yet, he's still protecting you. And when we think logically and in fear instead of supernaturally in faith, everything seems bigger, doesn't it? Everything seems scarier. Everything seems impossible. And this is when God comes in. Because your mind can only see what's possible to you. God, this is the only way it's going to work. This is the only way my marriage is going to be repaired. This is the only way I can be healed. The doctor told me. That's why it's called practicing medicine, people. They're just practicing. And God says, no, this is not the only way. Don't go to worst case scenarios. Don't go to death. It might not be on your timetable, which just stinks, doesn't it? It might not be the way you think, which can stink. But God is going to come through in such a mighty way that when he's done, you think, oh, my gosh, only the Lord could have done that because I'm too dumb to think of that. I'm, I'm too powerless to be able to have that happen. So they make it there safely, duh, right? And, uh, and, and Martha sees Jesus, and she runs and gets Mary, and Mary runs to Jesus, and Mary and Jesus, you see the scene where Mary and Jesus are holding each other, and they're weeping together. Again, you're confused, because Jesus, you just told your disciples that you're going to raise him from the dead. Why are you weeping together? Jesus will always meet us in our weight, in our sorrow, in our pain, even though he knows the ending because he is a God of comfort in our growing season. And they go together and he says, roll away the stone and all these people are doubting. They're still doubting. And he goes, did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you if you believe, and he looks up at his father. He goes, Lord, I know you hear me. I know you always hear me. But for the naysayers in the back who still don't believe, Lazarus, come on out, boy. And he comes out in his grave clothes. He's like, take him off. We're going. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. 
And I wonder how many of us are praying how many of us are waiting for a miracle, waiting for an answer, waiting for victory, waiting for breakthrough? And God says, did I not tell you if you believe? Did I not tell you that I have a plan for you, a plan to prosper and not harm you, a plan to give you hope and a future? And if you're not going to believe the answer, then why are you asking the question? And I get it, man. Belief is hard. And so he goes and he goes, I'm going to show you how big God is with Lazarus. I'm going to show you how big God is. But when you're in the wait, will you believe me? Because I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And this is where that refining fire comes in that we just sang about, y'all. And some of you are singing it and you're like, I don't even know what this means. This sounds real scary. And he goes, and you're like, Lord, I feel like I'm dying in my situation. I feel like I'm not going to make it. I feel hopeless. And he goes, no, I'm just refining you. All those impurities, all those struggles, all that unbelief, all that pain, all your past, it's tarnished you. And I'm going to take you through the fire of faith so that you can be purified. God prepares you to not just obtain the promise, but to retain it. He prepares you to not obtain it just to get it. He, he, he prepares it so you can keep it. And that process only comes through faith. It's just faith. And I can look back on my time in California. If you don't know, my husband and I were called from Denver out here three and a half years ago. I left a sales executive role to be a pastor. And I left a a big salary to come to one that's not, and I left a cheap home to come to one that's not. And, and I tell you, um, I could write a 1,200-page book on everything the enemy has thrown at me since I stepped into this role. I'm not playing with you. I'm not, people who know me, they know. Even my mom's like, I don't even get how you're still standing. Let me tell you something. You know how I'm still standing? Because every time that enemy hits me, I see a way to see, give God the glory, to say, you know what? This is my refining fire God moment, and he's refining me, and he's, he's giving me strength. And you know what? Let me tell you what just happened. This is wild. I was talking to my husband about this. I'm like, if we don't believe God for the little things, why would we ever believe him for the big and we were talking and we were laughing because I made him go through his closet to get rid of some clothes. And, and we, we needed some money, okay, for this big bill we had. And he called me. He goes, baby, you're never going to believe it. I had all my stuff in this bag for Salvation Army. And God told me to go check these cowboy boots I had that I was getting rid of. And I reached my hand in there and I found $1,200. He didn't know I used to hide money in there back when I made money so I could go shopping without his knowledge, I forgot too. And the Lord told him, get in that boot, go get that boot money so you could pay that bill. And so we believe the Lord for the small things, even though we haven't seen the big miracle yet. And you're like, well, that's coincidence. No, somebody at the Salvation Army almost got $1,100 an old pair of cowboy boots, but the Lord said, no, go check it. And there's things in your life you need to go back and check so he can bless you, so you can believe him for the big thing. Because he wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever ask or think. But when he says that, he goes, do you trust me in that? Do you trust me? Bill Johnson says, great faith doesn't come from striving. It comes from surrender. 
Your faith is not going to be great because you're striving for it. Your faith is going to be great because you're surrendering daily. And so I have to ask you the second question is where is your faith? Do you trust God only when you can see it? Only when you can see the stone rolled away? Only when you can see it physically manifest in your body? Or have you come to know the character and the heart of God that you know that he will never forsake you? He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He has a plan for you. Even if you have to wait. We go on to John 12, and this is where I want to finish today. And we see Mary enter the picture again. And it says, and then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead, and he made supper and Martha served. Poor Martha. This Martha just can't stop serving. And and Lazarus, who was there, sat at the table. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his hair, her hair, his feet with her hair. And the disciple Judas, the one who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He did not care for the poor. He was a thief and had the money box and used to take what he, what was put in it. And I just want to make a note that there are people in your life that might question your motives. But if the Lord has told you, they might need to be checking their heart. And Jesus says, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with me always, but me you do not always. Now listen, I've been a pastor's kid my whole life, 36 years, and I've heard this, this sermon and I get frustrated because people will quote this all the time, the poor you will have with you always. But if you, and this is why it's important, y'all, to read the Bible and not just stories. Because if you go over to Mark and you see what Mark wrote, this is what he said. For the poor you will have with me always, and whenever you wish, you may do good to them. What he was saying in this moment is, listen, I'm not going to be on earth forever. So what she, the sacrifice she gave me right now is fine. It's good. It's pleasing. But don't give it an excuse not to give to the poor. Don't turn a blind eye to people that need it because Jesus Christ lived among the poor. He served the poor. He called the disciples to be in his life who were poor. So don't make an excuse, y'all. Read the Bible. He then goes on to say what she has done will be told as a memorial to her. Y'all, listen, imagine this. In full acknowledgement and need, Mary approaches Jesus. Humility and surrender pour out from her heart in a devotion of love, and she pours $60,000 worth at his feet. And she's not pouring this out because she says, God, I'm going to give this to you so you can give something back to me. And some of y'all need to be asking, am I fasting today just so I can get something back for God? Or am I fasting because I'm surrendering to God and giving it all to him in a state of honor? And it's amazing how often we don't discern a given situation the way God does. You see, Jesus saw this sacrifice completely different than everyone in the room. Mary wasn't thinking of a personal breakthrough. She wasn't saying, I'm going to sacrifice, I get it back. She just wanted to honor him. She just wanted to worship him. And when she left the house that day, she left smelling like Jesus. She sat at his feet and she poured it out and she goes, God, I just want to worship you. I just want to serve you. And let me tell you, it was improper for women to lay down their hair 
It was humiliating for women to show their hair, yet she got on her knees and she took her hair and she wiped his feet and she goes, I just want to honor you. I just want to worship you. I just want to surrender to you. And there's something about that where we yield, where we break, where we give these things in our life that are the most painful and the most precious and the most expensive when we give it to God and we say, it's all for you. And he goes, and I'm all for you. You know, we haven't shared our story publicly, um, but God told me I had to do it. And I'm not real excited about it, but uh, my sweet Ava Lee uh, was born um, healthy. We, nothing showed in the scans that she wasn't, and uh, except that she'd be big, and big she was. She was nine pounds, 16 ounces. 23 and three-fourths inches long, fourth longest baby at Hogue. And men, if you're wondering, yes, you feel that. <clears throat> About four months after she was born, I started noticing something was wrong. Her back curved, she didn't have muscle, she couldn't do tummy time, she was limp. And so I brought her into a doctor who ended up being the biggest fear monger I've ever experienced in my life. And she immediately began to just throw out all of these things that my daughter had. And here I am in the middle of trying to run a ministry and COVID had hit a month prior. And she's, she's just saying all these things that my daughter has. And so she's sending us to specialist after specialist after specialist. And because it was COVID, my husband couldn't go. And so I had to do all of these by myself. And I would sit in the car and these, these specialists would tell me, she's gonna have this and she's gonna have that and she's gonna have a horrible life and she's gonna live a short life and she's gonna, and she's gonna have clefts and, and big and not, you know, just all of these things. And I would just sit there and be like, why, why? I serve you. I give you everything. I've given you my life. Why are you doing this to me? But to my daughter, like give it to me. Why are you giving it to my daughter? And I spent night after night, instead of rocking her to sleep, to somewhere over the rainbow, the way I did my first, I waged war in that room. And I told the Lord that he was responsible to heal her. I told the enemy that he didn't have power over her. I told the, the, the God, I refuse to accept this. And I waged war and my daughter learned to fall asleep to a grieving mother. And let me tell you something about this. In this process of waiting and believing, and to be honest, a lot of times not believing, my life began to change my walk with the Lord began to change. And my, my inner circle of our best friends began to pray and to fast. Our family began to pray and to fast. My mom walked every single street in Anaheim Hills praying and fasting. And there was a night I was sitting there, it was 18 months into this thing. And so if some of you are waiting for your miracle, yes, sometimes it takes long and I'm sitting there and I'm rocking her and I'm like screaming out like I always do, how dare you, you heal her. And sometimes I did not do it right. Sometimes I was more demanding with him. And he goes, I'm going to heal her. And I said, when? When? And it was silent. And I said, why won't you tell me? And he goes, you're not ready yet. And the truth is, if God would have healed her right away, my faith wouldn't be where it is today.
And we've since figured out what she has. It's nowhere near what the 52 specialist told us. But they do say it's going to impact her life. And I, I tell, we go to physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, 10 hours a day. And I always tell when I go, when my husband goes, he just is kind and walks in and out. But when I go, I'm like, just wait, miracle in the works. And they look at me like, I love when your husband brings her. And they're like, you know, she's doing well. And let me tell you, the night that God came to me and said, I will heal her, my husband and I were talking about this last night, immediately we saw kingdom acceleration in her. Immediately we saw kingdom. We saw her doing things that even, even the therapists were like, wow, she's improving quickly. I'm like, miracle in the works, baby. And they're like, woo, crazy. Then, you know, I continue to pray for healing for her. But my first prayer now is that God would do something supernatural in her. This little girl for two and a half years has, has been prayed over so diligently. And I'm going to ask the band to stop. Sorry, because I got a video. And, um, and, and I, I, we were driving to this Christmas thing. And, and my husband and I were talking in the front seat. And my daughter, Grace, goes, shh, Ava's praying. And I turned around and I quickly grabbed my phone because I didn't want to forget it. And I recorded my two-year-old praying in the car. two-and-a-half-year-old little girl that already has a desire to pray. I look at this two-and-a-half-year-old little girl that has a desire to worship, who when she hears worship music, she can't help but sing. And I think all the nights that I prayed over her and all the streets that my mom wrote, walked, walked and prayed and believed, all the people that prayed and believed for two years for a miracle. And let me tell y'all, I want to encourage you because some of you are fasting for something, but God has something bigger. You see this book here? This book was inspired by Ava. My mom was on a prayer walk and she hasn't told this because I didn't tell her it was okay, but she was on a prayer walk for Ava and God said, write it in a book. We were believing for miracles. And I look and I have a two and a half year old little girl that I was believing for a miracle. And God is doing something bigger. These are blowing up on Amazon. People are buying them, believing in miracles. And God is already working through my daughter in a way that was even bigger than I thought. And it was because I, I, I said, God, I'm gonna sacrifice this. And I'm finally gonna lay it at your feet. And I'm just gonna worship you no matter what you do. And he came through. And this is what God wants to come through. He says, listen, there are things in your life that you are fasting for, that you are believing for, but if you lay them at my feet, you don't pick them up on day 20. You lay them at my feet and you believe me, I'm going to heal you, but I might do something bigger. 
I might do something bigger. And believe me, believe me, don't settle for what your mind can comprehend. Don't settle for what you're fasting for. Ask God, how can you do something bigger? How can you do something bolder? God, use me. May you get the glory, God. May you get the glory. Yes, I want a healing. Yes, I want my marriage better. Yes, I want my finances. But God, I want you to get the glory, Father God. You to get the glory. You to get the praise. Amen. And so the third thing is, what are you going to surrender today, y'all? It's day two in our fast. What are you going to surrender? What are you going to ask God and say, God, I want you to expand my mind to something even bigger than I ever even thought. Because he will do it. He will do it. And I'm believing God for big things. And I'm holding God accountable for big things. And I know that this fast is going to change your life. I pray blessings over y'all. Thanks for letting me share what the Lord has said. And